Good to see y'all. Um, you guys may not know this, uh, but we offer uh, in the small size and in a large print size this uh, little daily devotional called Open Windows. And if you've been neglecting a, a daily Bible study or a daily devotion of some sort, uh, I want to encourage you to get one of these. I know that the uh, seniors, ladies, has some left. Uh, if you see Brother Chuck, Brother Chuck, raise your hand. Uh, if that's something that interests you, if you can get in touch with Brother Chuck, he'll make sure that the order gets placed. Uh, but I tell you what, what a great devotion. Just to spend five minutes focused on God, uh, opening up the Bible a little bit, and finding out how uh, God can change your life. And that's what this is all about, is changing your life. And, um, but a, a long, Open Windows is a good one. But there's another one called Guideposts, Guidepost Magazine. And in that magazine, uh, there was a story uh, about Ron Pinkerton. And Ron Pinkerton describes a near accident that he had while he was hang gliding. Everybody know what hang gliding is? Like a giant kite? Anyway, he was hang gliding, and after taking off, a powerful gust of air forced his hang glider 4,200 feet into the air. So here he is way up there, and all of a sudden, he started to descend. And as he started to descend, a new blast of air forced him straight down. He was heading straight down, and he just knew that he was going to crash. And here's how he describes the whole ordeal. He says, I was falling at an enormous rate of speed just knowing that I was going to crash. He said, and then I saw him. About six feet off my right wingtip, I saw a red-tailed hawk fighting the same downward gust of wind that my hang glider was fighting. And then I looked down about 300 feet, and all I saw was pointy trees ready to impale me. As I began to grow more and more concerned, I looked again at the hawk. And the hawk banked and flew straight downward. And I thought to myself, downward? That hawk is committing suicide. But then about 200 feet, out of nowhere, the thought entered my mind, follow the hawk. It went against everything I knew about flying, but I was at the wind's mercy, so I followed the hawk. A hundred feet. And suddenly, the hawk began to rise. For a split second, there I was in my hang glider, suspended motionless in space. And then a warm surge of air, an updraft, came under my hang glider, and it lifted me Nothing as a pilot could explain it, but it was true. I was rising. We've been talking a lot about teams for the past few weeks. All of our teams have ups and downs. No matter what team you're on, you're going to have ups and downs. And friend, when you get down, what is your first impulse to do? Get back up. That's exactly right. But like that red-tailed hawk, 
God's word tells us to do the opposite. Don't be so focused on uh, going up, up, up when you get down. In fact, the word of God says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. God's word actually tells us to dive, to go down, to humble ourselves under the hand of God. And when we do, he promises that he will provide that thermal updraft that will lift us. The ultimate example of this kind of humbling is found, is actually demonstrated in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Now, I know that I shared this last week, but you know what? A, a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture like this doesn't need just a casual breezing through. We need to study what it has to say and how it can be applied to our lives. So in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes to Christians. He's writing to church people just like you. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery being equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, verse 5 said that... We need to have this mind in us that was also in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind are we talking about here? Well, I believe that the following verses after that show us that we ought to have a mind of humility. We ought to have a mind of humility. Friend, in a world that is always looking out for number one, and we talked about that in our life groups class this morning, we live in this world that's always looking out for me. How can the world serve me? How can the church serve me? How can my wife or husband serve me? You know, it's all about me. But in a place where a world is telling us to do that, Jesus calls us as his followers to be the opposite of what the world is. Why did God's son choose to step down from the glory of heaven? For others. Why did God's son choose to become a human being? For others. Why did God's son choose to accept the role of a servant? For others. Why did God's son choose to accept the death of the cross? For others. Friends, can you imagine how many problems would be solved? How can you imagine how many lives would be transformed if each member of our marriage teams, of our church teams, of our family teams, of our work teams, if each member would practice the lowliness of mind 
that Jesus had to focus on others. Be great success, friends. Every team would be a winner. Amen? No matter what team lost on Saturday, you'd always have a winning team come Sunday. Amen? So to better understand the humility that Christ calls all of us as believers to imitate, let's be reminded of the humility that Christ chose to demonstrate. To begin with, I want to bring your attention to Jesus' life before humanity. What was Jesus' life like before he became human? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being, say being, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery being equal with God. I want you to take your finger like this. Amen? Take your finger and put it on that word being. That word being. A person's being describes what someone is in their very essence that cannot be changed. That being the case, Jesus' being was God. Jesus is God. Paul begins by telling us that Jesus is essentially and unadulterably God. And we need to make sure that we understand that. He was and he is and he always will be undeniably God. Amen? That's as high as you can get, amen? I got a spot. Amen? Say this with me. Jesus was, is, and always will be God. Ready? Jesus was, is, and always will be God. Amen. If you learn that one truth, my friends, you will leave this place with an eye-opening, life-changing experience. Amen? Jesus is God. Because Paul said that Jesus is God, well, guess what? His equality with God cannot be taken away from him. Whether he's in heaven or whether he's on earth, he is God. His being is God. He is as high as you can get. He is God. You know, I envision God uh, looking around at the beginning of, the, of humanity and wondering who is going to go to this planet and save these people from their sins. And I envision Jesus saying, I'll go. I'll go. So that being the case, let's now shift gears and look at Jesus' incarnation into humanity. Verse 7. But made of himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Say that with me. He humbled himself. Whoa. God humbled himself. Humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Jesus took six steps down the ladder of humility. And I want to share those with you this morning. The first step down the ladder that Jesus took is he began by making himself 
no reputation. That original word translated made means to empty. He emptied himself. He emptied himself. So what of what did Jesus empty himself? When he came to earth, what did he empty himself of? Did he empty himself up of, of godliness? No. We just got through saying that he was, is, and always will be God. Amen. So of what did Jesus empty himself then? Jesus renounced what was rightfully his. He renounced what was rightfully his. Jesus renounced the privileges of being God of his own accord. And he accepted the limitations of being a man. This incredible picture has an incredible part. And here it is. He limited himself. He chose to do it on his own accord. And guess who he did it for? Others. Say others. others. Everything Jesus did was for others. Jesus continued down his spiral ladder. And the next one was he took the form of a bondservant. Now, friend, I want you to see the picture here. The huge contrast between first being in the form of God and then taking the form of a bondservant diametrical differences there between being in the form of God and taking the form of a bondservant, limiting his godliness, limiting his glory. Friend, that's one thing. But coming, get this, but coming to serve those who had rejected his father? Now that's another thing. I can't understand that. I don't understand that. Friend, if you utterly rejected me, I'm sorry, I don't know if I could serve you. But Jesus did it. How could he do that? That's the love of God. That's the love of God. Knowing that he was not forced. Knowing that by his own choice, he took the form of a bondservant. Who? For who? For others. Now, a bondservant's pretty low on the ladder, amen? But Jesus continued down by coming in the likeness of men. Now, I always wondered, wasn't there some way that Jesus could have served mankind but just done it from heaven? all-powerful. He could have done that. Couldn't he have just served us from heaven? Well, apparently not. Apparently, he had to become one of us. Let me illustrate this for you. Has anybody here ever had an ant problem at your house? I'm not talking about the fire ants out in the yard. They need to be killed, amen? I'm talking about, I'm talking about those pesky little Black ants. Now, those, where do those pesky little black ants usually show up? Where? 
In the kitchen. Where specifically in the kitchen? By the sugar bowl. Amen? Or by the sink. They're always there, it seems like. Now, black ants, they don't carry a disease. And those black ants, they don't bite. I just don't want them around my sugar bowl. I don't want them around my sink. So what do we got to do? We got to kill them. Kill them all. I know it seems a little sadistic. But the only way to get them from being all over everything is to take those little sticky traps out, get some spray out, and kill them. Now, I wonder if those ants that didn't, that made it, amen, that didn't get killed, I wonder if they gather at the perimeter of my lot and they begin to protest and they hold up little signs that say, down with Barlow, he hates ants. <laughs> but if I just had some way to communicate with them, if there's some way that I could tell them, look, guys, I don't hate you. I just don't want you around my sugar bowl. I don't want you around my sink. I'll even leave you a little sugar outside. But I don't hate you. But how in the world am I going to get that message to an ant? There's only one way that would be remotely possible. I'd have to become one. Now, I don't know how it would be to go from being a human being to being an ant. It'd be pretty dangerous, in fact. Always be in danger of st being stepped on and sprayed on and getting stuck in a sticky trap. But that's the only way I could get the message to them. The only message that I could get to them to let them know, hey, I love you guys. You're cute and all. But you just can't hang out at the house. Would it not be humiliating to go from being a human being to an ant? But that, my friends, is nothing compared to what my Lord did when he left the glory of heaven and came down to become a man. He came in the likeness of a man. Why? To get this glorious message to us that God loves us and he wants to save us from the poisons and sticky traps of the world. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continued down this lowly ladder of humility. Being found in, as an appearance, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. What did he do? Say it louder than that. He humbled himself. Have you ever been humbled or humiliated by something stupid you've done? Come on, am I the only one? to shake my head at myself sometimes. What were you thinking? Why did you do that? But let me ask you this. Of those of you who have humiliated yourself by something stupid you've done, did you do it on purpose? Did you do it intentionally? Did you intentionally want to be humiliated? Of course not. 
But guess what? Jesus did. Jesus did. He humbled himself. He humiliated himself. He submitted himself before the Father and before you. And he actually brought humiliation upon himself by choice. He chose to do that in order to embrace the will of his Father to save you. He humiliated himself. Now, it's one thing to live on earth. But you know what? It's another thing to die as a human being on earth. The fifth rung on this ladder of humility is that he became obedient to the point of death. You see, God created man to live in fellowship with him for all eternity. But sin changed that. The Bible says that where the light is, there can be no darkness. So there can be no sin in heaven. But you know, I can honestly say, I want to live. I don't want to die. I want to live. But that's not my choice, is it? Because of sin, death entered into the world, and now as a result, there's going to come a day when I will leave this planet. I don't want to die, it's, but it's not my choice. I have to die, even though I may not want to. But I submit to you that Jesus didn't have to die, but wanted to. to die, he chose to. Jesus could have chosen another path. But he chose to die so that we could live eternally. Believe it or not, there's one last rung on this ladder of humility. Not only death, but death on the cross. To understand this instrument of death, we have to equate this with something we can understand in our day and time. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to visualize the Son of God in the following images. You see, Jesus not only died, he died.
about hanging people. His death, though, was slow. His death was painful. His death was disgraceful. And his death was totally undeserved. Have you ever heard of somebody who went to prison, served decades, only to find out that he's not the one that committed the crime? Anybody heard those stories before? How does that make you feel? Sad? How does it make you feel? Did you get a little angry at the system? Were you a little frustrated? Man, they didn't get it right. Did it make you wonder, somehow, man, this system's got to change. This court system has got to change. Well, let me ask you this. Do you feel the same way about the undeserved death of Jesus Christ? Do you feel the same way about him? Are you wanting to get the good news out there that God loves people, that Jesus died for people, and that he didn't deserve a death like this? Are you wanting to get the good news out to your friends and your family members? Or when his death as long as it don't cost them something. But the minute that it begins costing them something, the minute that there's a price to pay, then suddenly they lose interest in serving others. Dr. J.W. Gallup said, Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. So, is it costing you anything to be a Christian? Are you inconvenienced in any way? Does it cost you something financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically? Because it costs you something. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Do you humble yourself for the sake of others? Your Savior did. When you say that he humbled himself for the sake of others, Friend, because of Jesus' choice to renounce his privileges, to renounce his glory, because his choice to come down this ladder of humility and become a man, to become a servant, to become a sacrifice, to become a savior, now you're going to see something else. You're going to see Jesus' exalted status after Humanity. Follow with me in verse 9. Therefore, anytime you hear the word therefore in the Bible, 
you got to find out what it's there for. Amen? You just found out what it's there for. Because Jesus humbled himself, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man has had his way with the Son, and now God takes over. Jesus begins ascending back up the ladder to take his exalted place beside the Father. And he does that beginning with a new name. Many times in the Bible, God would change people's names when they moved into a new stage of their life. You remember them. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. He changed, Jesus changed Saul's name to Paul. We all know that. But did you know that when you accept Jesus Christ, that you get a new name too? You do. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ by faith in, the, in him, your name changes from condemned to saved. How about that? That's a glorious name change right there, amen? But what is this name that's given to Jesus, which is above every name? I've always called him Jesus, or Christ, or the Son of God, the Son of Man. Sometimes, to be able to learn things about the Word, we've got to go to the end of the story. So I'm going to go with you to Revelation chapter 19, and let's see if we can find out what this new name is, which is above every name. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, John writes, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. That's some cool names, amen? And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name. He had a name written that no one else except himself knew. He was, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. The Gospel of John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Who is this Word? Jesus, the Son of God, is the Word. He's the communication. He's the words that communicate the will of the Father to us. But then notice in Revelation 19, continuing on in verse 14. And then the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name, a name. A name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That, friends, is the name that's above every name. 
the King of kings. There's no greater king. The Lord of lords, there's no greater Lord. It is Jesus. But notice that the next step of this status is the fact that every knee is going to bow. Just because every knee is going to be bowing doesn't mean that every knee is going to be saved. Because some of these knees that are going to be bowing are going to be bowing before the Lord, begging for mercy. Some of these knees that are bowing are going to be bowing because they're finally recognizing that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, and when he does, it won't be to save people. When he comes again, it's going to be to judge those who have not placed their faith in him. So what's the summary? Bow now and be saved. Bow at the judgment and be condemned. It's one or the other. But not only has Jesus received a new name, not only will every knee bow to his cosmic authority, but the Bible also says that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Friend, get this in your mind. Jesus is Lord. Say that with me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. But I want you to be cautious here. Because not everybody who says that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Be careful about calling Jesus your Lord when in all reality, he's not. Remember what our Lord said in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, there it is again. Have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Friends, you better know him as your Savior before you know him as your Lord. You better know him that he died for you as your savior before you profess him as your Lord. Because only when he's your savior will you truly humble yourself before him and do what the will of the father wants you to do when he is your Lord. So Jesus, who is your God, came as Jesus, your sacrifice. Now exalted as Jesus, your Lord. And listen carefully, because this is all that he asks in return. All that Jesus asks after descending down this lowly ladder of humility for you, and enduring all that he's endured, all that he asks of you, is that you will humble yourself before him. And that you will honor him with the life that he came and died for. And then he says, and honor him with the life you've been given. When the one 
come to him, will you be ready? To come to him. Not to say, the word of God says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Say, yeah, Bill, I'm ready. I place my faith in, in the Lord Jesus. He's my Lord. But let me ask you this question. Have you been honoring, honoring him with the life he gave you to live? He died so that you could live an abundant life. Have you been honoring him with the life you've been given? Or, if you had to be honest with yourself, you're really kind of stagnant. Really, if you're honest, being kind of idle, if you're honest with yourself, maybe you have to profess, you know what, I've been sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else. Maybe you haven't been accomplishing anything for the Lord. I want to show you today that today that can end. Today that can end. Not only can you receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, but you can also say, I've had enough. This life that he gave me to live, I'm going to give it to him. That should be the goal of every believer. I pray that during this decision time, that the Lord is leading you to make a decision. Do you do so? Father in heaven, I thank you for the gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that every person in this room is ready for when your son returns. And Lord, I pray that every person in this room, when looking in the mirror, can say, you have been serving the Lord and honoring him with the life he died to give you. Lord, as a pattern, it's always good to know that you stand ready with your arms wide open to receive us as a believer or to receive us as a Savior. Lord, it's almost anti-human to be humble these days. But if Jesus can humble himself like we did, surely to be my Lord through belief and through faith and say, I am ready to serve my clueless friend and my Lord and Master. Lord, only you can cause the decision to be made today. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give that still soft whisper to anyone who needs to make a call for you. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people